I don't know about you, but, uh, oh, first of all, I, I have my instructions. I have been known to almost walk off the platform. But they have put pieces of tape here so that I can't walk too far. And if I do, they have an invisible fence. <laughs> Just Pastor Matt's over there. He's going to shock me to get back in here. So I'm very, very limited. So I'm going to try to stay disciplined and behind this table today. Each one of us perhaps has a favorite Christmas story, don't we? Something maybe that happened to us when we were younger. Mine is when we had, uh, I was an army, uh, we called them army brats. And we, we had moved from Okinawa to Fort Eustis, Virginia. And my dad called it Fort Useless, Virginia. But anyway, it was Fort Eustis, Virginia. And my grandparents lived in Pembroke. And I mean as, as uh, back in the day when you army people really didn't get paid a whole lot of money. So we didn't have a whole lot of presents. But what happened every Christmas Eve is my grandfather and my grandmother would come down from Pembroke. And wow, <laughs> I don't know how long that trip took, but I'm sure it was a lot, a lot of a lot of time in that car together. I can't imagine what, what went on in that car. But anyway, we used to look for them. And we would see them coming down the road, and all of a sudden, you couldn't even see the back of the car. <laughs> there was so many presents in the car. Yeah, <laughs> a little bit like that, okay? So many presents in the car. And we said, man, it's time to have Christmas. We were so excited about Nan and Papap coming to give us this boatload of presents. Well, you see, Jesus did the very same thing when he came to this earth. He gave us a boatload of presents. He really did. He did. In fact, he talked a little bit about this in the book of Isaiah, by the way, they say the most popular book in the Bible that the people read that they love the most is the book of Psalms. But I've gotta tell you, the more I read the book of Isaiah, I'd have to move that up as my most favorite book to read. Listen, it does it all. It pronounces that there's gonna be a king that's going to be coming. It pronounces what's gonna happen in his life. And, and it pronounces the fact that um, he, he'll be crucified. All these things are in the book of Isaiah. And Jesus is in Nazareth, and he goes to the synagogue, and he gets up, and the very first verse that he quotes from the scriptures is in Isaiah 61. And he opens that scroll and he reads it. And he sits down. And he said, today, this has been fulfilled. And he sat down and all they did was just, just stare at him. All they did was just sit there with amazement of who could say this. But this book, in many ways, could define someone's life. Because everything we do in life should always begin with why. Why? You see, oftentimes 
uh, many people drift in life because uh, they can't answer the question of why. I mean, you see, you go to work and and you say, "What, what am I doing here? Why do I work here? Why am I in this career? Um, Every behavior, every action is driven by the why question. And hopefully in this message, it might begin to help us with this why question. I mean, those of you who have been married, now, be kind. Why did I marry him? Do you ever ask yourself that? Why did I marry her? And you see, that why has changed over the years, hasn't it? Okay? Now, fortunately, in my, my marriage with my lovely wife, the why she has said from the very beginning, it's still here, I'm still good looking. <laughs> okay? I still have that manly physique. Now, hers has gotten better. She's still my beauty. But why? Why did we get married? Uh, Recently I heard an old couple talking and and she was like, I I just don't know why I married him. And I said, well, you wouldn't like consider getting rid of him. Oh no, she says, I don't believe in divorce. She says, but I kind of wish that I just didn't marry him. You see, wise change all the time down through our life. And many of us, we get up in the morning and we walk aimlessly, and we don't even know why we got up this morning. We don't really know the reason why you know, we make money. Why do we have this, this money that we make? Why am I in this career? Um, Uh, why why we really have a hard time with our purpose or why. It wasn't too long ago, I'm retired now, I remember I was having an extremely difficult day at work and I have a good friend whose name is Tom and uh, he got a hold of me, another Christian guy, he got a hold of me and he said, hey, hey, what's the matter, settle down. And I said, wow, you know, dirty market, market, slug in the rent, but you you know, what's going on at work and all that. He goes, hey, brother, that's, that's not your purpose. He said, this is our mission field right here. This is our mission field. You know what I found out after retired, after I retired, is my work did not dictate my purpose in life. It's what I did at work. It's what I did. That was my purpose. That was my why. But here in Isaiah, and we want to read this, Isaiah 61, verses 1 through 3. And listen to this. Listen to this why. And, and here it is. It says that the spirit of the sovereign Lord is upon me. For the Lord has anointed me. Now we're going to come back to that towards the end in a couple minutes, that part. But he's anointed me to bring the good news to the poor. I noticed last week, Pastor Matt talked about the poor. Not only those who are impoverished, but also those who are poor in spirit. They need something they don't have, that they cannot attain by themselves. They need help getting it. But it goes on and it says that he has sent me 
to comfort the brokenhearted and to proclaim that captives will be released and prisoners will be freed. Verse number two, he has sent me to tell those who mourn that the time of the Lord's favor has come and with it the day of God's anger against their enemies. Verse three, to all that mourn in Israel, he will give a crown for beauty, a beauty for ashes, a joyous blessing instead of mourning, festive praise instead of despair. In their righteousness, they will be like great oaks that the Lord has planted for his own glory. That's the why. It's right there. You didn't miss it, did you? That's our purpose. It says to what? To bring the good news. It says to build up the brokenhearted, to bind them up. It, it says to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening to the prison who were bound. That is our why. It is our motivation. It is our vision. It is the why that we're supposed to love God and love people. It is the why that everyone is invited. It is the why that we believe that God is doing great things because he always has. That's the why, that's the purpose. I think many of us, we, we get so frustrated at the bad news. We get so frustrated at, at, at what's happening uh, in our land, in our country. And we sit back and we wonder what in the world happened. When I was a kid, living up, growing up in Baltimore, the mothers never worked. Never worked. I mean, yeah, they worked at the house. I understand that. They were housewives. Very seldom ever worked. And all of a sudden, the mothers started to work. All of a sudden, this started happening. That started happening. And, and now today, um, we see things like um, uh, we get into an area in which is, is now in a political area in which redefinition of what marriage is. And we say, what in the world? We never voted for that. We didn't vote for some of these things now we see in our country that has been put in front of us. We haven't. And we say, what can we do about it? Well, we can get a group of people to go down with our pitchforks and our shovels and we can go down and, and we can just protest in, in City Hall. Yeah, sure, you know, that's okay if you want to do that, but I've got a better idea. How about changing hearts? That's a novel idea. How about changing hearts? You see, if you could change the hearts through the good news to people in our church, to people in our communities, to people who are the lawyers, to people who are the business people, the people who are the politicians. If we could share this good news about Jesus, wow, it could change. It could change. It might not change for a long time, but Jesus said he's come to give the good news. There are two questions that, that, that I hear that are extremely uh, important, and that is this, I, I hear this. Is Christianity real, and does it work? 
Is it real? Or is it some kind of a fairy tale thing? Oh yeah, I believe in Christianity. Okay, does it work? Does it work? I'm here to tell you that the answer to that question is yes and yes. Listen, listen. I have seen people's lives that were broken. I have seen people's lives that didn't even know they were in darkness change because of the good news. I was speaking with my neighbor and we were talking about some people that we know in a certain local town. And I brought up this one fellow's name. I said, do you know this fellow? He goes, oh yeah. He said, man, he's a pretty rough guy. Well, what do you mean? Oh, he says he was, he never went to a bar that he didn't, ha- he didn't have a fight. I said, what? Now I knew this guy who, who he's talking about 10 years later. I mean, I, I've known him for 20 years probably. He said, oh, oh yeah, he, he's a bad dude, man. You don't want to mess with him. And I said, well, let let me just say something to you. He's not like that anymore. He heard the good news. Really? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Let me tell you about him. After he came to church a couple times, someone invited him. His wife drug him to church. All of a sudden, he shows up. Now, I'm not saying this is an old-fashioned, fundamental church. First thing he did was cut his hair. <laughs> you know, you gotta look like a, a Baptist. You know, you gotta get the hair cut. You gotta, you know, we love to clean you up from the outside, you know. Make sure you wear the same thing. Girls wear dresses, boys wear pants. I mean, this was back in the day, okay? We didn't tell him to cut his hair. We didn't tell him to groom himself. We didn't tell him, okay, you're gonna have a heart for kids. No, no, you know what he did? He says, um, I-, I wanna get busy for the Lord. He went in and he, and he said, can, I, can you rent me a bus? I want to go get kids and bring them to church. You know where he went? Hall Manor. Now, how many, of, how many would you go there? Okay. It's a rough place, isn't it? Hall Manor is a very rough place. He used to go there, and he used to get kids, and he brought them in to church every Sunday. Why? To hear the good news. Because Jesus changed his life. Jesus changed his life. The good news. The absolute good news. Uh, I often, I I listen to, I love to hear messages and sermons and things like that. I know that some people don't. I think I bore my wife with some of that stuff. I heard a preacher talk about this. They were building this church and the spirit of God was involved in this church and, and this church was just growing and growing and growing. He says, and they, they had a church and, and it was down this road and it was in a cul-de-sac and everybody loved their little cul-de-sac, their big homes and all that kind of stuff. But on Sunday, they got ticked off because you know everybody was parking around their, their land and all that kind of stuff. He said, so one day, he got a call from a neighbor who was really ticked off. He said, one of your uh, church members, your parishioners, he pulled on my lawn, part of the grass. And I said to him, hey, get off my grass. You know what he said to me? He showed me the number one finger. 
And he said, forget you, but he used another word. He says, and then he walked off with his kids hand in hand. Whoops. <laughs> hand in hand. And you know what he said? Praise God. Praise God. That's the guy I want coming into my church. I don't want people that are just all got it together. He says, we want people that are broken. We want people that need to hear Jesus. We want people that need to hear the good news. To hear the good news. To bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, to open the prison who are bound. Praise the Lord for those people who will walk through these doors. You see, many churches will grow through transfer. By the way, that's how I came. I came to here through transfer. I came to my other church <laughs> through transfer. What happened? Something happened at the church. I wasn't for it. I didn't like it. I just came to another church that, that I just fell in love with. I did that. Maybe you're like that too. But wouldn't it be awesome? Wouldn't it be fantastic if the Spirit of God was just on this place and had us on fire that we would grow in this church or they would grow in their lives because they heard the good news and they came through these doors and we began to see people in this audience that maybe didn't look like us? That would be exciting. Now, it would be uncomfortable for some of us. No doubt about it. Uncomfortable. Back in the day, we used to go to a little church, and they used to bring this fellow in the church. He'd sit in the back of the church. Um, I forget his, his name. Do you remember his name, hon? Luther, or uh, I forget his name. He was an old guy. He'd come in, wear the same they bring him in, wear the same coat. I used to think his, um, he had so much dandruff on him that it would just be laying everywhere, right? He'd smell a little bit, and he'd be back there, and the preacher would be preaching, you know, when the rattling preaching, just shouting. And right in the middle of it, he'd go, <laughs> he'd be clearing his throat, He'd be making all this noise and the preacher would stop and look at him and shake his head. But the person kept bringing him. Kept bringing him. You see, he looked a little different in the church. But that's the kind of people that we want to see. You see, it's, it's, it's our why to help the brokenhearted. When the doctors give us the bad news, when our friends lose a loved one, when we feel overwhelmed with disappointment, we have to remember what happened in Matthew 12, verses 20, when it says this, that the Lord, he will not crush the weakest reed or put out a flickering candle. Finally, he will cause justice to be victorious. You see, this bruised reed 
and the smoldering wick refers to our spiritual condition, refers to our physical condition, and, and re- refers to us when we are morally weak or, or we're hurt. And, and, and a reed that is, bu- that is bruised may be damaged, but it is not, it is, it is not imperable. We can still repair the bruised reed. Why? Jesus said, I didn't come here to break the reed. I came here to mend the reed. So many times, we can shoot the wounded. But God didn't call us to do that. God called us to go out there and find the reeds that are bruised and help them. The smoldering wick, maybe our lights are about to smoke and they're to go out and the Lord comes along and he, and he just trims it and all of a sudden our light shines again and we have a purpose of our light shining. It can be reignited. Yet sometimes the best thing we can do is just sit along that person and weep with them. I, I won't forget the last time Matt and I sat beside someone and listened to their sorrow and listened to their voice and saw their tears. And all of a sudden I was praying and I was so overwhelmed. I didn't have any words of wisdom for this person. All I had was tears. And sometimes that's the best thing we can do is sit with these people who are hurting and cry with them and pray with them. You know, the Bible says that he catches our tears in a vase and he keeps them. I wonder someday how full our vases will be. I just wonder sometime how full will they be. This is our why. Those are the captives and those who are the imprisoned. Those who may be addicted and those who don't even know uh, that they are in a dark place. I was like that before I came to the Lord. That's the why. I love when, when Isaiah 1, 18 says this, Come, let us reason together, saith the Lord. Though our sins may be scarlet, they can be white as snow. Listen to me. You know what he's saying? All those who are trying to figure it out on your own, hey, let's be reasonable about this. You've got nothing to offer. You're going to a place where you're not going to be able to get out of. I have the solution. I have it all. I've, I, I've set my son for you. Come. Let us reason together, saith the Lord. But let's look quickly. That's the why. That's the why. Let's look quickly at the how. How are we going to reach these people? How are we going to reach our coworkers, our neighbors, our communities, our friends, or even perhaps even our spouses? Isaiah 61 says this, that the Spirit of the Lord has anointed me. Now let me just say this to you. A few years ago, my wife, and this has been a lot of years ago, you know, when you get older, all these years. Right here. Um, my wife got into this thing, uh, this beauty stuff, that they used to look at uh, uh, people and they used to figure out what season they are. You know, 
you're a winter, you're, how many of you understand? You're a winter, you're a summer, you're a fall, you're a spring, and then by your skin tone and all this kind of stuff, you know, then you pick your clothes. Do you ever have someone say to you, man, you look good in that color, like Gary looks good in the color red, okay? That's the only color he ever wears, by the way. Did you ever see him? Okay? He looks good in that color. All right? There's certain colors that you look good in. And then they say, you know what you need? You need a makeover. How many, I mean, don't, <laughs> yeah, don't raise your hand. Um, you need a makeover. Now, uh, you need a makeover, okay? When my youngest, when my oldest son, I don't know how old he was, uh, pretty, pretty young, maybe four or five, something like that. My wife dropped them over a, at a babysitter's house, and she got a makeover. She came and picked him up. He didn't say a word. He just stared at her. Who are you? Who are you? Man, when she came home, I'm like, whoa, man. She was so different. You see, this is what happens to our life when the Spirit of God comes in and gives us a makeover from the inside. The Spirit, the Spirit of God gives us this makeover. And then it says that He has anointed me what that means is he's consecrated us. He has chosen us for a task. The first thing we need to do is we need to be humble. You will never reach anyone unless you let the Spirit of God do the work. Um, we can't do it in our own energy. We can try and we can plan it all out and we can go have seminars and, and the elders can go and pray together up in a cabin somewhere or, or we can just, we're gonna get direction. No, no, we're not going to do it unless God does it. Unless God builds the house, it's not going to happen. John the Baptist said this, stand back and see the glory of the Lord. And then he says perhaps my most favorite Favorite verse, I must decrease, but he must increase. How many of us in today in our society are saying that? That I must decrease, and he must increase. That's what John the Baptist said about himself. But there is nothing about us but this, and it's not about our story. It's a God's story. It's God's story. I was uh, in a conference years ago, a musical conference, because um, I had started a choir in our old church. And I don't know how many we had there, maybe 15 or, I don't know, 20, I don't know how many. Well, the pastor said, you know what, you need a little bit of training. And I said, oh, yeah, I love to go. So I went to a conference, and we're sitting at these conferences with all these people that went to seminaries, music, uh, seminaries and all this kind of stuff and we're talking and this guy says so uh, tell me about yourself how many people do you have in your choir and I said well you know we're a small choir and like 20 people oh he says oh that's great he says um, where, 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 did, where did you go to college well I, I didn't what, what do you mean well, where, where did you get all your music uh, I didn't 
He said, how in the world are you doing it? I said, well, the Spirit of God. He looked at me. Are you charismatic? I said, no. Christian. Christian. Charismatics don't have a monopoly on the Spirit. No church has a monopoly on it. No faith has a monopoly on the Spirit of God. No, no, Christian. Hey, the Spirit is there for us. If we allow the Spirit of God to come, it can make a difference. So we need, we need to be humble. Humility is not a strategy. It is the Spirit of God. The second thing we need to do is we need to stay hungry. Listen, I have found after I hear a message that has stirred my heart, you know, I'm ready to go to Africa, you know, I'm ready to sign up, I'm ready to, to go to a local school to help, and, and by the time I leave here and I walk to my car, something happens. Kind of wanes, doesn't it? And then I go home and I turn the football game on, and, and by four o'clock, it's gone. But how do we stay hungry? How do we stay some, from drifting from the mission? You see, uh, how do we stay hungry to share the good news, to heal the brokenhearted, to set the captives free, to open the prison doors? How can I keep caring? Book of Matthew 10, 29 through 31, was sharing a picture of the Lord in heaven. And he said this, God even knows how many hairs are on your head. Now, let's be honest. Yeah, I know some of us have less than others. Okay, it might be easy for you. How many of you have ever sat down and counted the hairs on your kid's head? Now, don't raise your hand if you did because <laughs> that'd be really weird. Okay. <laughs> That would be like, uh, you, you got a lot of time on your hand here. How many of you ever done that? Do you realize how much God cares for your children? Do you realize how much God cares for you? He even knows how many hairs are on your head. Now, before you Google it, there's between 100,000 and 140,000 hairs on your head. Now isn't that something? But he knows every hair on our head. And, and he knows how valuable you are to him. He really does. 100,000 and a, between 100 and 140,000 hairs, listen. Remember when you had your first child? Oh, you had a baby book. And I mean the footprints, the first hairs, uh, the, the first thing he said. Uh, hopefully you didn't freeze the first you know, mess he made, okay? You had all this stuff, the first, the first, the first, the first. Man, that book was, was, was like this, wasn't it? I mean, he'd fall down and hurt himself. Oh, let, let mommy kiss it, his boo-boo. Then you have your second one. 
I didn't care. Okay? The second baby book is like this. Like that. Kid falls, what do you say? Get up. Hurts himself, smack it. Get back in there. You see, God cares. My dad used to tell us, listen kids, why don't you just go play in traffic? (laughs) Yeah, he used to tell us that. He didn't care. You know, God cares about you. God cares about you. You know, these crosses that we have up here, not just for aesthetic reasons. When we walk into this place, those crosses should stare us in the face and say, he cares. He cares for me. He gave it all for me. He loves me. It should be more than just looking pretty. It should mean something to us. No one ever cared for me like Jesus. There's no other friend so kind as he. No one else could take this sin and darkness from me. Oh, how much he cares for me. He cares for you. You see, we need to stay hungry. The last one is this. We need to get to work. We need to hustle. We need to hustle. There's so much to do. You see, if we don't do it, who's going to do it? We're the missionaries. We're God's army. And do you realize that our competition is not the church down the road? No, it's not. Our competition is when we go out of this building and when we see the billboards that say, here's where you spend your time. Here's where you spend your money. Here's where you need to go on vacation. And and the world will give us so much competition. But God wants us to be about his work. You know, I'm 66 and a half years of age. I do get tired easy. I've been on this bicycle for Jesus for 21 years. I mean, since I was 21 years of age. Pastor Matt asked me about being an elder, and I, internally I fought it. There's no way. I'm not going to do that again. Well, you know what they say about don't ever say never. And then this year, he said, I want you to be the chair. Oh, you ask him. I, I said, no, I don't want to do that. Okay? And then I found out how much Gary Hine was making on the elder chair, how much he was getting paid. <laughs> And I said, you know what, I could use that. (laughs) I'm just kidding. But I said, all right. I said, but this is the last time. You see, I'm trying to be humble. You've got to stay humble. You've got to stay hungry. You've got to stay busy. You've got to hustle. I'll close with this. Um, I did have a few more things, but I'd sooner be overprepared <laughs> than under. I was walking in my neighborhood, and I met 
a fella sitting there, and I thought he was reading the Bible, and I was walking, and I thought, oh, man, he looks like he's reading the Bible. So I went around and went around the neighborhood, and I said, I'm going to have to go back there, circle back, and I looked back. He's still I said, hey, are you reading the Bible? Yeah. He says, I'm really struggling. I'm just trying to. I said, well, can I talk with you? Sure. His name is Kinley. Kinley. And we began to talk, and, and, and it was when uh, there was a lot of stuff going on in the nation with protests, and it was, it was a terrible time. And I began to talk to him about Jesus. And here he was in Iraq, and he was having a hard time dealing with that. I met his mother, the kindest woman I've, I've ever met. I mean, I haven't had a mother since I was 11. I would love to say, I want to adopt you as my mother. A godly woman. And I began to talk with her, and she, she says, can I tell you my testimony? And I'm sure. She put her testimony into a poem. She knew it by in heart, in her heart. She started ratting off all this stuff. I stood there with my mouth open and tears rolling down my eyes. You look at her, you'd say, there's no way she'd ever gone through that. I said, would you do me a favor? Could you write that down for me? She says, I sure would. So she wrote it down for me. You see, she, she heard the good news. Her heart got mended. She was broken. God put it all back together through his spirit. And I'll end with this. This is Miss Kay. She says, oh God, where do you want me to be? Maybe in a nursery I could spend a little time. And then I remembered I can't do that because I aborted one of mine. Oh God, where do you want me to be? Maybe I'll help with the toddlers, helping to mold their little minds. And then I remember I can't do that because for one of mine I had so little time. Oh God, where do you want me to be? Maybe I could talk to the youth about honesty, character, and choices. And then I remember, I can't do that. I lied. I had no character and made bad choices. Oh God, where do you want me to be? Maybe I could talk to the teens about abstinence and how they should refrain. And then I remember, I can't do that because at 13, I had already been trained. Oh God, where do you want me to be? Maybe I could tell someone about substance abuse, but why, when I was uh, only a weekend user, I never thought of myself as an abuser, for I was only looking for a laugh. And then I remember the real reason I did it. I was trying to forget my past. Oh God, where do you want me to be? Maybe I could usher, smile, and lead someone to a seat. And then I remember, I can't do that. What if someone recognizes me from the streets? Oh God, where do you want me to be? Now she's saying all this without this. Oh God, where do you want me to be? Maybe I could join the choir and, and let God praise his ring. And then I remember, I can't do that because I can't sing. Oh God, where do you want me to be? Maybe I could be a trustee, a basket I would hold. And then I remember, I can't do that because I once stole. Oh God, where do you want me to be? Maybe I could be a missionary, go visit and comfort the sick. 
with a listening ear, a scripture read and a prayer said, trying to, trying to dry a, a tear. And then I remember the little things I'm trying to share with someone else. I haven't done any of those to try to help myself. After so many years of asking God where he wanted me to be, God had a simple request for me. Make yourself a living sacrifice, holy unto his name. And if I trust and obey him, he would remove my shame. His words told me to strive to help more than a few. For you see, my child, there are others out there hurting just like you. I put all trust in God, and every word was true, for he has given me the love, strength, and courage to share my story with you. Since that day, life for me has never been the same. God stopped by my house and loosened all my chains. With all these things remembered and all that I confessed, God never gave up on me. He still continued to bless. He has taken my old transgressions and put them out to sea. He says if I walk upright, no good thing would he keep from me. God has given me a love that is never ending, a peace that surpasses all understanding. Granted me grace that is not deserving, mercy, another chance to keep on serving. And then she ends this. Now no longer asking God where he wants me to be. I will take up his cross daily and follow where he leads, thanking and praising him always for what he has done. Hallelujah! Thank you, God. I'm free. Let's pray. Father, we're so thankful for what you've done for us. So thankful. Lord, help us Help us to be humble, to, to stay hungry, and help us to be about the work that you have given us. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you.